Welcome everyone to the Trainers Only Podcast. This is episode three, Opposition Groups and How They Differ. So in this episode, we're going to talk about three main opposition groups, and we're going to talk about why it's important to distinguish between them. We're going to talk a little bit about specifics of each group and how they differ, what their threat level is for racing, before we wrap up with some key takeaways. So why would we bother to distinguish between these groups? It can be very tempting to lump them all together and say, you know what, at the end of the day, they're all the same. But if we do that, if we combine or confuse the groups, this actually plays into the strategy that they're trying to work. And that's for a few reasons. First of all, it allows them to play good cop, bad cop. So we can have groups that are working with us, and we currently do have two, PETA and the Humane Society of the United States that are working with racing on reforms. They're helping us do lobbying in Washington and so forth. But that does not mean that all of the threats have abated. There are other groups, such as Horse Racing Wrongs, another group that we'll talk about today, that continues to work behind the scenes to get to an immediate ban of racing in the United States. This good cop, bad cop strategy has actually deceived quite a few people. And if we generically lump everybody together and say, well, they're all PETA or they're all the same, that actually plays right right into their strategy, so we don't want to do that. The different groups have different threat levels. Some of them are larger, some are better funded, some are a little more focused on horse racing and more determined. So when we start thinking about our counter strategy and how we're going to pick our battles, we'll have to have a good understanding of each group and know what is worthy of how much of our attention and, and resources going forward. Groups themselves can be highly litigious, so that would be another reason to distinguish between them. If you accidentally accuse one group of actions that were taken by another, they can come after you for defamation, and that will be a really expensive legal action. So it's really important to distinguish between the groups. And the final thing I would say in this area is you will see participants that belong to multiple groups. It doesn't mean that the groups themselves are combined or that they're all the same. It is just that several individuals choose to belong to more than one, and that's actually very common. Just just don't confuse that for thinking that you're always dealing with the same group. There can also be splinter groups that form off of the larger groups. We've got one of those in California now called Ban the Race. It's another group that has formed that's talking about wanting to do a ballot initiative in California. But these groups are typically pretty small, and they do tend to splinter off of these larger groups. So for the remainder of the podcast, we're just going to focus on three core groups. The Humane Society of the United States, which has around 11 million members and supporters and revenues of about $178 million. They are headquartered in Washington, D.C. and were founded in 1954. Note the headquarters in Washington. They're very focused on legislation and lobbying, so that's a big part of what they do. There's also People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. They seem to have about 6.5 million supporters, according to their website. Their revenues are about $56 million annually, and they're headquartered in Norfolk, Virginia, and were founded in 1980. And finally, we'll talk today also about Horse Racing Wrongs. This is a smaller group for now. They have around 100,000 supporters, and that number may be a bit high. Where I'm actually getting that is they have a petition online for ending California racing, and they have 100,000 people that have signed that petition. So I'm saying, well, this is the largest number of supporters I've found for them. Let's just say they have 100,000. Their revenues last year, 2018, were only around $8,000, so very small. 
They're headquartered in Albany, New York, and were founded in 2013. But don't be fooled by their revenues from last year. The amount of activity that they've done this year, some of the things they have planned for um, coming up that they're advertising on their website indicate that they are much, much better funded this year. So they are definitely one to watch going forward. So if we now go into more detail on each group, let's start with the Humane Society of the United States. As I said before, they focus heavily on legislation and lobbying. What is interesting about the Humane Society is they they kind of split the difference when it comes to horse racing, and I'll explain what I mean by that. So they take credit alongside Gray 2K USA for banning dog racing in Florida, and they acknowledge that the work that they did in Florida could pave the way for a ban of horse racing. However, their public position on racing is that they are not against it, but want it done very well with national standards. They are very interested in racing reform. They've made racing a priority. It would normally be a small part of their mandate because they lobby for all kinds of animal activism, not just horses or horse racing. So this would not normally be a big issue for them, but they elevated it to a priority issue in 2016 in support of the Horse Racing Integrity Act. They formed a Horse Racing Advisory Council in Washington, D.C., and they are working closely with uh, the Jockey Club and other industry participants, particularly WOA, W-H-O-A, or the Water, Hay, Oats Alliance, with a focus largely on medication and aftercare, as demonstrated by the content of the Horse Racing Integrity Act. So in summary, the Humane Society, their mandate would not require the end of racing, as, as is the case with some of the other animal rights groups. So racing could continue to exist, and that would be consistent with the charter of the Humane Society, but it must be done well. Their focus on racing would ordinarily be limited, except they have elevated it to a priority issue. So right now, I would say they have sort of a medium focus on racing as part of their mandate. Moving on to People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, or PETA, P-E-T-A. PETA is probably one of the best-known animal rights organizations. They advocate for the end of racing over time, but are not presently advocating for an immediate ban pending reforms. So PETA will always be in favor of racing coming to an end, and that's in part because they have a charter that says animals are not ours to experiment on, eat, wear, use for entertainment, or abuse in any other way. So racing and PETA will not be able to happily coexist forever. They will always advocate for a ban. They are just not doing so immediately. And there's a quote that's available from Kathy Galamo, which is their senior vice president. And in it, she says, racing does not need PETA to end it. It's doing fine on its own. The fall crop has changed by half. McKinsey reports have concluded that the public perception is that racing is cruel. So their focus on racing right now is lower than some of the other groups. They have, again, just like the Humane Society, a very, very broad mandate, and largely they focus on animal use in entertainment and in laboratories, but racing is a small part of what they're focused on right now. Horse racing wrongs is different. If you listen to the first um, episode on, uh, or the second episode rather, on the ban on dog racing in Florida, we talked about Gray 2K USA being a single purpose entity founded only to end dog racing. 
Horse racing wrongs is an equivalent of that for horse racing. That is their only focus. They are not open to reform at all because they feel that any reforms just weaken the case for a ban. They're calling for an immediate national ban of all racing and wagering. Interestingly enough, their uh, leadership and their advisory group includes former racetrack workers, former racetrack veterinarians, mostly from smaller racetracks, uh, some thoroughbred rescue organizations. So they are actually very well informed as to the mechanics of the business. Horse racing wrongs also differs from, say, PETA in that the proponents don't need to be against any other use of animals. Uh, You don't need to be a vegan. You don't need to be against wearing leather. You don't need to be against animals in the circus, for example. And this has the effect of broadening their potential donor base to include anyone that would benefit from racing's end. This could include real estate developers. It could include casinos. It could include other people that might benefit from, say, a construction project or the free up of of a key piece of real estate. So that makes them really one to watch. And that's why you set up these single purpose entities is to be able to attract funding from, from these sorts of people. So from a standpoint of key takeaways, it's just important that we remember that not all opposition groups are the same. Some larger organizations like PETA may have a broader focus and be less concentrated on ending racing. Most, but not all of these groups would prefer for racing to end. The Humane Society is the only one right now that publicly says they could see racing going on in the future, but even they acknowledge that they paved the way for an end of horse racing via their work on the Greyhound ban in Florida. If I wanted to talk about a way that the horsemen can help, I would say understanding the differences between the groups and discouraging people from combining or confusing them in conversation, and then keeping an eye out. Um, There are radical members in a lot of these groups. They will occasionally break the law. I'm not necessarily just talking about, you know, violent things or or trying to set the animals loose, but also just disruptive behavior, um, not obeying the local laws when they're doing their protests. Any pictures or videos of this type of activity is very helpful. We can take action if we know which group is involved. Should we choose to do so? It's not always wise, but should we choose to do so? But we would need to know which which group is involved. Then also these kinds of pics or video of extreme or illegal behaviors are very, very helpful to our cause as well. Thank you for listening, and uh, I look forward to any feedback, questions, or comments you might have.